episode 156, Takeaways from 180 Million YouTube Streams. I'm your host, Dr. Justin Trosclair, and today we'll hear Tyler, also known as Fairlane's Perspective. Join 2017 and 18 Podcast Awards-nominated host and best-selling author on Amazon as we get a behind-the-curtain look at all types of doctor and guest specialties. Let's hear a doctor's perspective. Welcome back to the show. What do you think? Releasing these episodes randomly instead of every Tuesday and Saturday like I was doing before. Let me know your thoughts. Today on the show, we're doing a little bit of a different take because we're actually going to do a DJ producer. His name is Tyler, but he goes by Fairlane. As the title says, he's had over 180 million views. Uh, One track alone had 135 million views. And it's a great story. So if you actually stick around to the end of the episode... I'll give you a behind-the-scenes story behind that release on YouTube. Uh, Some of his songs have 12, 13, and 8 million views. This is an EDM, electronic dance music, trap music genre that he produces. And anyway, so I always say, listen, critically think, and implement. And this one, you'll see the point. You don't just get that many views doing nothing. You got to have a plan. And so one of the big takeaways is going to be collaboration partnerships, favors with people around your community. So he's got to talk about different artists and producers and managers and agents and all this. And we're going to hopefully bring that in and think of other doctors in the area that you can partner with, other gyms, other businesses, exercise studios. How do we partner with these people? Is it blog posts? Is it videos? Obviously, as an artist, you have uh, videos. So we'll get some tips on that. Um, Not just like, you know, your standard music video, but also these lyric videos or these Videos that have waveforms from the music, from the sounds, the equalizer, whatever you want to call it. So we're going we're to cover a couple of different things here. I really think if you like music and you like marketing, you'll enjoy this episode. And we'll also have a second bonus. He dropped a new single called Replay in the middle of May 2020. And so he's actually given us 30 seconds of that to listen to. So we'll do that at the end of the episode. And we also will have links, of course, in the show notes to a bunch of the different people that he's kind of mentioned, as well as a YouTube video for the replay song, as well as a mix that you'll understand later. That is really cool to listen to because then you can hear lots of songs with just one click on YouTube. Quick self-promotion. If you don't know how to use chopsticks, Download at doctorsperspective.net slash chopsticks. 16 different ways. No more excuses. It's obviously a companion to the China Dinner book that I wrote. Uh, you can also find that needless acupuncture now on Amazon. It was never on Amazon before, but uh, ever since coronavirus, I uh, released it on a Kindle and paperback. So you can find that on Amazon. Just search the name Justin Trosclair. That's all I got for you for now. Let's jump in. All the show notes and the transcript can be found at a doctorsperspective.net slash 156. Let's go hashtag behind the curtain. Live from Germany and Germany de facto, but this guy is Canadian. Uh, <laughs> thanks to coronavirus. We have a, a, a different take for a doctor's perspective because he's not a doctor, but he sure is a producer of some sorts. And he's a heavy hand in Trap Nation which you might be like, what is that? Well, it's kind of like electric dance music. It's also kind of hip hop. There's a big blend, but it's got 30 million subscribers. All right. He's got songs of 135 million views, 12 million, 13 million hits like Wildfire, Butterflies, and uh, remixes from some bands you would know. And so this guy is doing it right with video, with promotion. And being that I like the music, I say, hey, 
let's reach out and see what we can pick from his brain so that us doctors could potentially grab some nugget and learn how to do it from like a production and artist side of things. So please welcome Tyler, better known as Fairlane. Hey, I appreciate that. Thank you for having me on the show. Absolutely. Well, I know it's probably a strange uh, format for you a little bit, but that we were discussing pre, you know, Trap Nation, you got lowly records, they're kind of independent, but I mean, there's 30 million people. People are into this music, 11 billion views mm. would it be. That's pretty insane. I mean, it's not Despacito, one video, one 4 billion yeah. views, but I mean, we can't all be Latin pop for the whole world, I guess. No, <laughs> they set the bar pretty high, yeah. Yeah, very high. Mm. Uh, but give us a, a little rundown on what is it that y'all are doing to amass so much followers? Like, how does that play out? I think, I mean, from the conversations I had with, so it's, it's a kid named Andre who started the channel. He was 15 years old at the time. And he just, you know, he loved music and he would, you know, this is in the early stages of YouTube when YouTube wasn't quite recognized as a music platform the same way that it is today. You kind of look for these simple ways to listen to music and he, you know, you'd, you'd find songs you wanted to hear and aside from downloading them or purchasing them on iTunes, you know, they weren't really readily available anywhere to listen to for free because you had to understand that, you know, Spotify and Apple Music weren't quite a thing yet either. This is kind of the early stages of electronic music and digital streaming platforms. And so, he kind of saw it as an opportunity to just upload some of these songs to YouTube and, you know, started gaining a little bit of attraction and a little bit of popularity. The channel started to grow and it hit a point where you kind of run into an issue of licensing because, you know, that's always going to be a thing when it comes to, uh, to uploading music to any platform is you need to have. Especially the, now. Especially now. Yeah, you have the proper licensing. And so he partnered at the time with uh, a company called The District. Uh, it's based out of Vancouver, actually. Uh, there's a couple of good friends of mine that work there. And what they were doing was essentially partnering uh, YouTube promotional platforms with the major labels, getting them the appropriate licensing and kind of, you know, bridging that gap so that they had, I guess you could almost say exclusive rights to uploading music that people wanted to hear. And so by capitalizing off of that, they kind of became the go-to channel, you know, Andre and Trap Nation, where you would find these songs that you weren't seeing on other channels, respectively. So that kind of gave him that upper hand and that upper edge, you know, partnering that with brand familiarity, you know, they have a very unique and like instant, you know, recognition with their, their visualizer, with the fonts of their text, everything. And that kind of just took off as being this, this entity of its own that I don't think he ever expected to get as big as it did. But, you know, it's just kind of a snowball effect where he was growing so fast that, you know, it was almost too big to stop at that point. And yeah. that's kind of how he amassed the number of followers that he did. Because it's got to be a, quite a journey to get Sony and Interscope and all these major record companies to be like, uh, sure, well, sure, we'll let you use your stuff. Maybe like spinning records or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. it's a big, but it's not that big compared to these Goliaths. Yeah. And I think that was something that, you know, spinning records was doing is they're promoting their own content. And so they were kind of a recognizable record label that was doing things they were promoting the music that they were releasing and as such they kind of had that brand identifiability that was like okay spinning records is putting out you know these house records and they're putting them up on their youtube and that's where you go to watch it and, and they you know grew that way whereas trap nation was getting these sort of exclusive licensing deals from you know sony interscope capital records that would allow them to host it on their channel and then that would kind of you know give people the incentive to go and check it out and now there is still a bit of a unique situation when it comes to those things, even with the remix that I did, that Imagine Dragons remix that you know now has 135 million views. That doesn't just get given to Trap Nation for an opportunity to license and monetize 
Interscope still controls the the master of that uh, record, and therefore, because it's being uploaded onto YouTube, they control the monetization. But they're given an exclusive opportunity to host that on their channel, and that's kind of how it you know grows in popularity there. So, so do you even get a scent, or is it just name recognition? It's it's name recognition, and I've made the mistake uh, of calculating what the royalties would have been a few times. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's my main advice on that is if you've had any sort of bootleg remix or opportunity takeoff, do not look into what it could have earned you. It's better to just appreciate what you have. So, <laughs> Yeah, I say, or do what you did and actually produce music yourself, and then you can actually uh, garner millions of views yeah. from your own tracks. And then you control that, yes, and then you yeah. can make a living, yes. <laughs> that's, that's all right. That's all right. Yeah. So it's a dual part question, I guess. Mm-hmm. Most people may have heard of David Guetta, Hardwell, Tiesto, even people who aren't really into the music. These guys are the people that put out these big shows, the Electric Carnival. I mean, 200,000 people per show. Yep. And then I think you got people like Thomas Gold, maybe Morgan Page, mm-hmm. who, you know, not quite as big. And then I think in the fence, you got Trap Nation artists mm-hmm. who are kind of in the smaller realm. Yep. And they're trying to break free. Now, I'd probably classify you into that, even with 12 million views. That's still a lot. But, oh, yeah. You know, like, what's the goal? How's the? How do you transition into, or is that even a goal to get into these massive festivals like that? It's, I mean, the reason that the the names that you mentioned, like the David Guetta's and the Hardwells and them, they were kind of, again, like the pioneers of a genre. Um, it was kind of like the early stages of the, the EDM outbreak when all of a sudden electronic music was becoming more and more popular. And it was sort of like this new experience, like going to these festivals and, you know, it, it transitioned kind of from like these like underground rave scenarios where people with money and big partners were actually putting on these festivals and hosting these artists that were, you know, kind of the, I guess you could say like the ground zero or like the, the original people doing this sort of thing. Like the, and they're actual songs. They're not just 20 minutes of the same baseline and they throw a symbol in there every now and then. these are like three or five minute yeah. songs you'd expect to hear like on pop 40 radio and you do hear them sometimes. So yeah. these are just like real songs. That just happened to be a different beat than what you're, you know, than T-Pain or something. And what you're used to hearing, yeah. And it's, you know, it's got like the floor on the floor, big kind of festival energy. And, and that's what drew the people to it. You could go to a, you know, a festival of, you know, like Tomorrowland or EDC with, you know, 80,000 people in a crowd. And everyone's just kind of enjoying it together. And it was this whole unique experience. And they were sort of the front runners. And just like anything else, there's obviously going to become, you know, like a mass appeal where, now everybody else wants that same situation because, you know, it's no secret. These guys are making millions of dollars. You know, it's like yeah. you, you see some of their caps. Calvin Harris is making two hundred fifty to $300,000 a show. You know, <laughs> you look at that and it's like you, you, you do 10 of those and you're a multimillionaire, let alone, you know, the, the 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 that he does a year. So it kind of puts it into perspective what's happening. Um, now, for someone like myself, who's obviously kind of, I guess you could say like coming into the game a bit late, that's sort of the challenge is, is how do you get into that next step of, of touring and playing live and transitioning from the, you know, the internet basically to the real world because it's sort of a unique experience and something I've, you know, actually kind of thought about a few times is that you exist on the internet for so long that you kind of forget that those numbers actually represent people. And that's not to sound condescending in any way. It's just like, it's, it's hard to kind of detach your mind from that where, you're so used to just seeing, you know, the numbers tick that you forget that there's somebody behind the screen actually listening to those those songs. And so it's not until you transition into that live space that you start to kind of feel, you know, the presence of everybody that's actually listening to the music. Now, in order to do that, I think it's just a lot of partnering with the right people, the right agencies, uh, the right management who can kind of leverage opportunities to get you into that setting and then mm-hmm. 
putting on a good show, you know, something that people actually would want to come and see again, doing something to differentiate yourself a little bit from the next guy doing the exact same thing. And then just kind of hoping for the best and, you know, hoping that these agencies can pitch you to the right festivals and they kind of, you know, put you on the lineup and just see what happens. Do you have to do like free remixes of really popular songs and things like that? So they say, oh, this is the style. And then they're like, well, what else does he have? And then you, you know, maybe be able to peek the ear of the right producer or promotion. Yeah. Like you want to, you obviously want to have like a, a catalog of original music that you can, that you can be playing. You know, it's like if I just go to an agency and I say, Hey, I want to start playing shows. And I go, well, why would I even bother considering <laughs> you? If you don't have music, like what's the point of putting you on if you're just going to go play other people's music? Cause that's yeah. obviously going to be the number one thing that differentiates yourself from everybody else is your catalog. Like what are you making? What kind of music are you going to be playing? That's going to be unique to you. And it's not going to be the same as every other DJ that's playing these same shows. And right. so that for me was kind of, again, like a, a key opportunity was having that strong partnership with a channel or a group like the Nations, you know, Trap Nation, that could even leverage marketing in exchange for favors. So, you know, I did a couple shows with an artist who goes by the name of Griffin. You know, he's really quite big in North America. And he was doing, you know, a mid-sized stadium tour essentially across America. And in exchange for, you know, Trap Nation promoting that tour, they kind of leveraged me into the deal saying, okay, well, we'll do this, we'll help you, but in exchange, we want you to bring Fairlane on for a couple support dates. And so that's how that happened. Nice. I got to go to Los Angeles, I got to go to Denver, and I got to play 5,000, 6,000 cap rooms, which was incredible. And that was sort of my introduction. And then, you know, again, that piques the interest. People that have maybe heard my music on Spotify or YouTube, but never actually seen me or known, like, oh, hey, that's actually a person. Like, you know, it's kind of... That's actually your song. Oh, I didn't realize that's who oh, actually did that song. <laughs> Shazam it. Exactly. And now he's playing there and now they've seen me play live. And now next time, you know, I come to Los Angeles or I come to Denver, there's going to be that group of people that want to buy tickets to come and see me play. And at the end of the day, you kind of have to make that decision. You know, are you going to be an artist that earns most of your revenue through streaming or are you going to be an artist that earns most of the revenue through playing shows? And so... Those are actually two very distinct and two very different things. Um, they do have crossover, obviously, the more popular your music, the more well-known you're going to be. But there are artists who have millions, even hundreds of millions of streams on Spotify that can't sell 400 tickets in a city like Los Angeles. And so wow. that's kind of that interesting crossover. And, you know, on the opposite end of the spectrum, you've got people who don't stream well but have a very particular live set that people want to go see and they'll sell 5,000 tickets in Los Angeles, you know? And so that's kind of that very interesting, you know, balance. That, yeah. You would think that if you're producing your own songs, when you're playing live, that you'd be able to mix them and do everything like you need to, to pretty put out a, a great show. Mm -hmm. And I want to say there was a, a research study of all things about like trying to get bars to sell more alcohol. Yeah. And they had like just a, you know, me going spin some records, you know, like a wedding. Yeah. And then they had, I think, Tiesto or like uh, somebody huge play and the, the alcohol sales almost plummeted or something because they were so good and they, <laughs> the music was so much better. People were like, ah, I don't really need a drink right now. I'm, yeah, I'm actually they wanna, dancing. They want to stay on the dance floor, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I don't know where that came from, but I thought that was kind of cool. <laughs> I saw William Black. The yeah. music's, uh, you guys have similar sounds, I would say. I mean, I don't know. Hopefully that's not an insult or anything, but nope. y'all were about to tour through coronavirus and then I guess that all got shut down. Yeah. Would that have been a good person to partner with, in a sense? Absolutely, yeah. So what was really interesting about Will, because um, he's actually one of my best friends, is why it's all kind of works out so well. He is close friends with a artist, goes by the name of Elenium. 
Um, he's actually probably one of the biggest uh, projects in dance music right now. You know, he actually just came off the stadium tour across North America, sold out the whole thing. You know, he's playing 15,000, 20,000 person rooms, which, you know, to a pop star doesn't seem like anything much. But when, you know, you're, you're looking at the transition between dance and pop and you see someone who has that much impact on the scene, you know, he's doing incredible things. And so he actually brought Will out on the tour. And so they toured together. Um, and he's, you know, saw like a huge spike in his growth through that opportunity. And that was kind of what then fed into this tour we were going to do together was sort of, okay, we need to come back, you know, six months later, let's hit those same cities that he played with Elenium and just do smaller rooms, you know, maybe like 400, 500 cap rooms, some of them closer to a thousand, but you know, in that safe zone of what we think that we could sell. And, uh, the whole thing was planned out and, you know, we'd been anticipating it for months and we were all excited and I spent, you know, thousands of dollars on getting my visas approved and everything <laughs> in the States. And then I flew out to Germany and obviously everything kind of went kaput after that. But, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's disappointing because these are kind of the opportunities that a lot of people spend a lifetime even working towards. It's like, okay, we're going to do a proper, you know, American tour especially as a Canadian artist too, stepping into that market, breaking into that. I was going to say, how do you even, does somebody do this for you? Like, No. no so that was, that's kind of, I, I learned. There's so many clubs in a city like Denver. There's the church, there's Red Rocks, there's who knows how many other smaller venues yeah. that uh, you'd have to like contact all of them and be like, hey, would you like, can I come play in your club? Yeah. No. <laughs> Next. That was actually Will. He has a really good agent. So he handled the booking for all of that. And so, Luckily, my job was just to kind of like hop on and I was just sort of figuring out my own stuff. So which was, again, like, you know, the legal issues of getting visas approved and rushing paying taxes, paying taxes and <laughs> booking flights and, you know, preparing yourself for, OK, like I'm it's a good chance I'm going to lose money on this. But, you know, it's it's an opportunity to go into this and, you know, really start to to grow. And again, like I said, make that transition from being someone who exists primarily on the Internet to being a live act that people are actually buying tickets to come and see. And that's like, cause there's more money in that too, right? If you get to a certain point, absolutely. Yeah. Like I said, you know, I'm not saying that that's what I expect, but you got Kelvin Harris making $300,000 a show. You know, that's, that's real. That's something that exists, you know, and yeah. I'm not saying that everybody is doing that, you know, but even still, if you get to a recognizable point, you can charge yourself out at, you know, anywhere from five to $10,000 for a show. Costs obviously will accumulate, but you can make a very honest living. I mean, 5000 a night and you play 100 shows a night, that's not so bad. It's not so bad, no. It's not so bad. Again, the difference, though, I think is to understand as an individual doing this that that doesn't last forever. And I think that's kind of that, like, it's, it's deciding where the longevity is going to be, you know, as a producer, right. as an artist, you know. Either you get really lucky and you can save up for four to five years and then sink into an early retirement. A lot of people do do that. Or, you know, you get by and you live a luxurious lifestyle, but you understand that, you know, hey, there's there's a cap to this. Like at, at some point, this is going to stop. Yeah, I might have good five years. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're going to take off or you're going to slow right down. And so it's understanding, OK, well, what other avenues are there within this industry that I can, you know, kind of navigate that will allow me to continue to make a sustainable living, you know, for as long as possible. And it was, you know, a very good friend of mine and a mentor that kind of compared it to, you know, a garden. He says, like, if you want your garden to succeed, you got to plant a little bit of everything. If you plant one crop and you hope that that crop is going to grow and it doesn't grow, well, then you don't have a garden. He says, you plant, you know, five or six different crops. Maybe one of them doesn't take off, but, you know, maybe three of them do. You still have a garden. You still have something to eat, right? And so it's the same with music is you can get in there 
and you can put all your energy into being a producer, okay, that's fantastic. But, you know, maybe one day it's not going to work out anymore. That crop's going to die. You're not going to have anything to do. And so that's kind of where, you know, I've always been at and trying to diversify and say, okay, well, I can do a little bit of radio work here. I can do a little bit of production work here. I can do a little bit of consulting work here and I can, you know, do my artist project here. And I've got enough to kind of keep my calendar full and my days busy and that way I'm never stuck just kind of like worrying, well, if one thing falls through, well, what am I going to do next? And so, yeah, because you guys do a, a weekly, I call it a weekly podcast, but I think it goes to Sirius Radio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I actually got my start with a different record label. Um, they're called Monster Cat. They're an independent record label, electronic, uh, based out of Canada, actually. And they're doing incredible things as well. Um, that was my start to it was like, you know, I, I would do the mixes. So I'd mix the radio show every week and put it together and then we would pitch it off. That one just recently got uh, accepted onto Sirius XM as well. But that's how it came about, actually. The relationship with Trap Nation was an opportunity they, they needed a mix done in like less than 12 hours. And so put me in touch with them and just said, hey, this guy does mixes, hit him up, maybe he can do it for you. And so I remember getting the songs at, you know, like 11 p.m. You know, I'm going to have to stay up all night, but I pulled an all-nighter and I made the mix. And I sent it off to them. They were really happy with it. So you don't have to pick the music. You just got to mix them. Like, we already picked the songs. They sent me the songs for that one, yeah. But then, you know, there are weeks where, you know, I have to pick the music. There's weeks where I get it curated for me. It all kind of goes everywhere. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a weekly thing, yeah. So I do that one. I do one more for Chill Nation. I've slowed down with Monster Cat. But there was a point in time where I was doing almost five mixes a week uh, wow. on top of everything. But... You know, like I said, it, it keeps you busy and it... I hope everybody's hearing the grind factor on this. Yeah, you know, that's what, that's what I'm saying is if you if you want something to work and you want longevity in something, you just you just got to kind of put your nose down every now and then and, and find a way to, to make it work, so... Have you ever heard of the artist Emojin Heap? Yes, Emojin Heap, yeah. Yeah, pretty popular at one point or whatever. I was in Denver at the time, actually, and we went to her show and it was a small venue. Mm-hmm. Maybe there was 500 people in there, but yeah. she was definitely not selling out a massive stadium, even though she had just gotten a uh, remix by, I think, Jason Derulo or something like that. Yeah. And it's just it's just crazy. Like, I was really into her. Some of my friends were into her. And it's just someone like that was a, a real pop scene yeah. still. Can't get on the radio. Nope. Can't sell out, you know, Justin Bieber-sized stadiums or anything like that. No, nope, but had a massively popular record, right? Yeah, made some sales. Well, that's what I was kind of saying was that, yeah, you, you have someone who obviously has massive success on with, with the song itself, but to transition into that space where there people were buying tickets, it could have just been bad marketing in terms of, you know, maybe they didn't promote the show well enough, or no one really thinks of Emotion Heap as being someone you would go and see live. Yeah, I don't want to see them live. Uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's cool, and they have a really good catalog of music and this and that, but like, that was sort of, <clears throat> I think, maybe what point you went and saw her play, but I remember seeing a series of videos on the internet where it was actually a TED Talk. Uh, she developed the software and the technology of her bodysuit that allowed her to control all of the vocal effects of her singing because she would always do things, you know, very acoustic. Live. That entire vocal song right there in front of you. Yeah. I was like, whoa, it was intense. It was like 2008 or something. Yeah. And so, but that's, that's what's really cool about that, though, is like it could have been a missed opportunity where like, you know, she was doing something really, really awesome, but wasn't getting those opportunities to go and showcase that. So it's like, as an artist, you know, maybe she got picked up, she could have gotten picked up on say like a Justin Bieber tour and you go and do that. And it's like, yeah, you can play your own show to a 500 person room and, you know, showcase this new technology and do all these things. But, you know, at the end of the day, only 500 people are going to leave with that new impression. Whereas 
you go and play a stadium supporting a bigger artist. Maybe it's not your show, but you go up there and imagine she steps on stage and does this cool thing with the bodysuit to 15,000 people. Hello. Impressions is that's going to leave the next time she comes to that city and plays her own independent show. People are going to remember, oh my God, that was that person that stepped out in a bodysuit and made the song live. That was so cool. Absolutely. I'd love to go and see that again. Yeah. So, yeah. any tips for, because like you said, Trap Nation does have a very special font. Mm-hmm. Their visuals are intense. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm guessing they spend some good money to, to buy these or create them themselves. I don't know. How important is it for an artist, for yourself, to have a distinguishable font for yourself? Or like, is there is there a way to make a certain, like when you do videos, do they always need to sort of be similar so that they're like, oh yeah, I recognize that dude? So brand recognition is something that I admittedly need to improve on, but have, you know, understand the, the gravity of it is that it, it's, it can make or break an entire artist. You know, you have an artist by the name of Rez, you know, very simple concept but you know she wears these these glasses and they they have these they move it's like a visual on the glasses and there's little squiggles or um spirals that are swirling and she wears them on stage and you know all you can see from the crowd are these little bobbing eyes that are moving ah. and you know she obviously has really cool music in this and that but it became so recognizable instantaneously that you're at a festival and you pass by and you see those little bobbing eyes and instantly you know oh that's res you know, it's like the mouse guy yeah, with the head with everything, something. No, but it's true. It's something it can be simple. It can be goofy. It can be dumb. But if it gets people's attention and they say, oh, yeah, I know who that is. You have a guitar, the guitar. And <laughs> you don't see too many guitar people <laughs> DJing as well at the same time. That's, you know, that's kind of something that I'm trying to do. And it's, it's understanding like, OK, well, how do I do something? You know, whether it be even in the music sounds, things that are going to catch the ear and the attention that's going to immediately bring people back to, oh, that's Fairlaner, oh, that's so-and-so, that's so-and-so. And that's almost beneficial to, to Trap Nations. As I said, they had a very recognizable visualizer. You know, they called it the, the bunny ears because the, uh-huh. the frequencies kind of shoot out of this little ball and at the top, you know, the, the bass frequencies would shoot out and it would look like rabbit ears, essentially. And so obviously the channel grows in popularity. People all start trying to copy it. And what's funny is that, you know, people found the template to do this exact same visualizer. <laughs> You know, but when you watch the other people copying the visualizer, you don't think of them. You think, oh, that's Trap Nation. You know, it's it's almost like indirectly marketing and bringing traffic back to Trap Nation because they're recognizing their visualizer being used by other people. If that makes sense. Do you happen to try to find a very common vocal? Like, you know, listen to your music. Mm-hmm. I don't know all the buzzwords and the jargon for music, but like it's like an airy kind of sound. Like they're like kind of chill, but they got a really good beat to them. Yeah, uh, the vocals are similar in a sense. Like, you know what I mean? Is that uh, a thing you're purposely doing or? I think it, it it might not be intentional, but like subconsciously, I know that I gravitate towards a certain sound. Um, and so like with a lot of the music that gets sent to me, because it can go a few different ways. I can, you know, I've been in the room with the writers, written the songs together. And that way, you know, we can kind of govern it and move it in the direction that we want it to there together. Or I've had demos just sent to me. Um, you know, from singer songwriter groups that are like, "Hey, here's a couple demos we've written. What do you think of these?" Oh, so they're trying to do what you're doing. Feature me. Well, essentially, yeah. Like, hey, you know, what do you think of this? Like, do you want to do the song together? It's not. And I noticed that, yeah, subconsciously, I do tend to gravitate towards a certain kind of sound and a certain topic. And it is often, you know, a little bit of a sadder kind of vibe, <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> but it's okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, but something a little bit kind of more chill and introspective and, you know, has has a bit more of that, like, maybe additional meaning or deeper meaning to it. I think because I've never considered myself to be a technical producer, if that makes sense. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that pride themselves on having 
a very unique or interesting sound design um, approach to music, high energy, something that you would hear at the club. Whereas, you know, I focus a lot more on the storytelling um, aspect of it and kind of bringing about that feeling of introspection. And I find that that comes through, you know, in the in the sort of softer, more airy and, you know, angelic, if you would, vocals that, uh, that sit with that. Two random questions. Yeah. Anytime you watch these people play live, they're always fiddling with the knobs. <laughs> Like, yeah. I understand, like, they're trying to get it, they're finding the next track and they're trying to get in the right place, but they're just always touching the knob. And like, to somebody like me, I'm like, what are you doing? Is that a thing or is it just compulsive or what? So, you know, I'm in the same boat. Like, I used to mock that all the time. I was like, you know, they're not doing anything. You know, it's, it's, you're checking the same knob over and over and over again. When you're DJing, you're using maybe five buttons. Like, you go up there and it, you look at the setup, it looks complicated. I promise you, it is not very complicated. <laughs> And I used to say the same thing. I'm like, you know, if I, you know, when I get up there, I'm not going to be touching the knobs. That's stupid, you know. But there's almost, it's it's like a nervous tick, like a reaction, because when you're up there in front of thousands of people, you don't really know what to do with your hands. I mean, you could literally record your entire hour track at your house, mix it exactly <laughs> right, and just hit play and just stand there and be like, I did all the hard work. I don't do this live. Are you crazy? <laughs> if you wanted to do that, you could, absolutely. I, I think that that's kind of like, you know, almost one of the reasons I started playing guitar when I do things live as well is there's that like awkward two minute period in between songs where you don't really know what to do with your hands besides you know, putting them up in the air, maybe get yeah. on and fist bump and dance around. You know, that's great. But it's like, it, it is, it's a fiddling because you don't really kind of know what to do with yourself and you're enjoying it. You're in the moment and you don't really think about it, but right. that is kind of a tendency is yeah, they're, <laughs> they're not <doing> <laughs> from an outsider point of view i was like i don't think they're doing much i think it's, uh, 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 a millimeter here and a millimeter there no they're not oh doing. man yeah. i'm laughing at myself here um we're talking about a bunch of doctors here hopefully they're hearing everything you're saying about like partnering up with other people so he's talking about other artists he's talking about other labels people are sending him demos they're wanting to do the same thing as doctors of course we could be looking at the same thing in town like a local you know you're a dentist who could you partner with? Could you partner with the, the busiest chiropractic clinic in town, with the orthodontist, with the medical doctor who sees, oh, I have a headache. Oh, is it a jaw pain? Maybe she's going to see the dentist. So there's lots of collaborations that we can do. And we're talking about videos. It's kind of the same way. A lot of us are nervous to do videos about, you know, it's kind of a strange thing. Like, let's talk about sciatica. Well, how do you make that fun? Okay, well, maybe there's a CrossFit guy down the street and y'all can share each other's audiences uh, and do the same thing. Or you can record one video and he can record another one in a different way. And then uh, post-edit, I mean, you can go on Fiverr and get somebody to do that for you for a few bucks mm -hmm. and just put something out there that's, um, that's good. I always tell them you got to critically think about what's being said to, to implement it, what we're all doing. Have you ever considered, or is this silly, mm -hmm. doing a jingle for companies or like, like Morgan Page did some tracks for Tesla? Yep. And, and so is that like a thing? Is that another avenue that you could go after, like business jingles with your style of music? Yeah, I mean... There's one of two ways that that's approached. So like you could be almost like the the Charlie Sheen from Two and a Half Men that, you know, <laughs> sits in his room and, and literally writes jingles like the State Farm theme or, or something of that right. sort. Or you can look into getting a, uh, a publisher that will pitch your music for syncs and syndication. And so that's a big one is, you know, having your music be used in commercials, you know, like say, yes. like, a Tesla or Honda commercial. You know, these are some big deals. These are massive licensing deals that could earn you, you know, in the high thousands. You know, I've can you imagine being on the next Apple commercial? Oh, Apple, Apple pays out almost, you know, 100 grand for your song to get played in there, not to mention the popularity, the rise in popularity that you get from doing that. Um, so 
I have had opportunities that, you know, didn't quite fit the, the calendar or what, you know, I was willing to do at the time, but they, they come forward and they say, hey, you know, we just we need a song that kind of maybe says these words or has this kind of vibe. Do you have something? And if you have it in your catalog, absolutely, you can pitch it to that. If not, you know, if you think it's a good opportunity, you can you can produce that. But there are people that do make music specifically for sync. You know, I, I actually have a good friend at a Los Angeles that just took on that project with his friend. You know, it's it's an inner circle thing. You know, a lot of people kind of it's, it's it, it, with any industry. It's who you know and the you know the people you've partnered with in the past that can bring those opportunities up. But they had a good friend that was specialized in sync placements for movies and commercials and things of that sort, and they have a particular sound that they wanted. And so they sat down and they produced out three EPs that consist of the sound that people want to hear for sync. That's not going to be an act that's, you know, ever, or it could, I don't want to say that, but as, as of now, it's not planned to ever tour or, you know, put out any merchandise or have any sort of brand familiarity or recognition. Its goal is just to make music that's going to get placed in commercials uh, to, you know, basically create music for commercials, do specialty projects, right. and earn money that way. Because it seems like there's a lot of push. Like, uh, I watched a show, Blacklist, and nearly into the the show, they always have, like, a really cool, kind of chill, dramatic-y type of song. And mm-hmm. one of them, you know, a couple times I liked the song, so I, I shazam it. I'm like, oh. And then you listen to the album, and you buy the album. and then. But it seems like I will be putting my effort and my money. How do I get my name onto a TV show like that? Yeah. But so it's just Justin. I was like, you know, like you said, diversifying your portfolio. So I don't know. It's it's having a good publisher will be pitching your songs to uh, the right people that are going to hear that. Oh, that's the hard part, huh? You and his other hundred artists on his in his belt. Everybody, you know, because that's just it. Like I said, everybody wants a piece of the pie. But it all comes from, you know, if that's if, if it's a piece of advice I could give to anybody, it's favors always seem to come around full circle, especially in this industry where a lot of things are done on spec. You're not out there looking for money with every opportunity. You know, I've, I've had a lot of singers, a lot of producers, people that need help on things that I've done just because, you know, I believe in them or I believe in the project or not to sound like that's my intention, but I know that at some point there will be something that I'm going to need help with that they're going to be able to return that favor for. And I've made a lot of relationships and had a lot of introductions made that have led to bigger opportunities through those simple gestures of, you know, hey, I'll, I'll produce a song for you or I'll record some vocals for you or I'll, I'll touch some things up for you. And it's very simple, but you'd be amazed how far it can go at times. So, I mean, that's huge in any field, what you're talking about, especially when you're first starting out and just trying to get get your foot wet in the door and keep your doors open as a, as a doctor in general, like. We have the same issues. We have, to, we have to market. We got to get people better. We got to get word of mouth. We have to try to get people to send referrals to us because it's the best way to, to make more money, you know, make a living. Yeah. But um, strange how that works. I think there was one more. If you had like $600 yeah. to buy a piece of equipment starting out, what would you get? Is that even enough money? <laughs> For some, I mean, it depends on what. I mean, there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a, there are a lot of plugins that... I mean, it's, I, I don't want to speak on behalf of the industry. A lot of things are available. There are ways of getting things for free. Oh, Not yeah. that I encourage that behavior at all, but I, I have found that there's pride and ownership. You mean sample before you buy? <laughs> you know, that's a good way of looking at it. And actually, I have met a few friends that have done that. They've said, you know, the, dare I say the T word, you know, I'll torrent it. And they'll sit with it and play with it. But, you know, a lot of these things, you know, there's plugins that cost $500. There's a plugin called Omnisphere. It's a huge sample bank of, of sounds and, and synths and all these things that, you know, make it's, it's really cool, but it costs $500. And, you know, it's like, 
I don't even know if my computer's compatible. You know, I drop five hundred dollars on this thing and I go to load it into a project and it crashes because I don't have enough memory on my computer or I don't have enough, you know, CPU. That's a problem. You know, it's obviously gonna suck. It's not like something you can just go and return like you bought it at Walmart. No one yeah. kind of sits like that. But there's a lot of, you know, bundles of uh, you know, compressors and equalizers, you know, the fab filter uh, bundle, something that I bought, you know, the first time I had money available to me, I bought the, the, the pro C compressor and the pro Q equalizer and all those things. And it's, it's gone, you know, so far. I mean, I can't even imagine how you guys produce music because I get overwhelmed sometimes with just my basic, put these shows together with them. I was like half these buttons I don't use much less if I'm trying to produce a song and be like, where did they come up with that sound? And then, and then that sound, I'm like, what, what is that? And then they, you know, it could have been like this simple sound and they put five filters on it and you're like, wow, how did they even think of that? It's all trial and error. A lot of it, you know, there is familiarity. There's sounds that I know how to make and I'll, you know, I'll go back and I'll make them again. But a lot of the new stuff is just kind of like, ah, what would happen if I threw this on there? And you, you don't really know what to expect. And it's just a lot of tweaking and doing things. And none of us have really gone to school for this. A lot, some people have, but a lot of it is just kind of like learning through doing. Germany definitely has some DJ schools. Have you seen that? At least where I'm at in Cologne, DJ school, DJ school. And I'm like, really? <laughs> you just go. I get the basics. I don't know. And it would be nice, you know, if I could, if I could have kind of like sped up the first few years of production that those schools are essentially doing that. It's like going from that realm of, oh my God, this is the most overwhelming and intimidating thing I've ever seen to, oh, cool. This is how this works. And, you know, maybe now it's actually not that intimidating and I can go into this and I can make a song and know how to do that. Whereas, you know, that was maybe just a bit more prolonged for me because it was trying to find one off YouTube tutorials and, you know, trying to just like, (laughs) you know, learn through doing and just be like, this sucks. My song sucks. Why does it suck? I don't know. Let's just keep trying new things until it, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very true. I guess the last question, if you'd like, is when you're making videos, mm-hmm. does it have to cost a lot of money? Like, do you have, you know, is it someone else's ideas that help you uh, create a video or how do you, how do you go about that? It doesn't have to cost a lot of money. Anything, you know, same thing with music. It, it can be simple. It's about finding a cool concept that works. Mm. So I had the benefit of working with a friend. His name is Zachary Moxley. He's based out of Vancouver. Does incredible video work. And so all the videos that I've done have actually been shot with him. You could break your song these days or if they don't like your video, they just can do the uh, graphic <laughs> overlay. No. And be like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. It, I actually had this discussion with somebody the other day. I don't think that it necessarily will help break a record. I mean, mean, if you have a video go completely viral, absolutely. But I think in this day and age, don't make a video with the expectation of having it recoup on the expenses because Mm. it's just, it's it's purely a marketing tool and you're using it as a way of representing yourself through visuals that, you know, you might not be able to do through the music. And so for the song we did called Crumble, um, we had a concept, you know, it's a song about loss, a song about death and grieving. And so we wanted to do something very unique with that. You know, we came up with the concept of filming everything and then reversing the footage and having it be a story told backwards. Now, that is a concept that we could have shot on an iPhone if we wanted to. It might not have looked quite as cool, but the concept would be the same and the message would be relayed. That's not going to make or break it. But because we had the availability of you know this expensive camera equipment and zach my friend was willing to shoot it you know for a very discounted rate just because we're good friends get his name out there you know exactly (laughs) that's a different story you know but again it's like i've seen music videos that were you know one continuous take again yeah shot on an iphone 10 or whatever it is they've got great cameras if the concept's cool and it gets people's attention it's gonna work you know so don't 
don't lose yourself on the you know the nitty-gritty details of oh but you know this this lighting and this you know angle and this shot and this take and this and that because as an artist maybe you're going to see these things but the majority of people are just looking for a story and a concept that they can kind of relate to or gravitate towards and so is it the most awkward thing to just i don't know if they're lip singing on these videos but just walking down a street or whatever and just like singing in front of a camera it just seems like it'd be awkward that one was really weird because after that crumble video we shot a lot of it in vancouver and you know familiar locations we didn't have permits or anything but we weren't (laughs) we weren't we weren't obstructing like there wasn't any reason we would have needed one but we were singing like you know drew his name is trove was the singer he was singing the song in reverse so it sounded like some Icelandic gibberish that you know and we were walking down the street you know playing it on an iPhone and he was singing it out loud and you know people were obviously looking at you like you know what the heck is going on here yeah you know we looked like we were out of our minds you know and there's also kind of like a weird feeling of walking around the city with a guitar over your shoulder too like (laughs) oh who does this guy think he is exactly but, you know, you, you then you, you take that and you put it into the software and you render it backwards and you play it out the way it's meant to be seen. And it looks so cool. You're like, OK, well, yeah, you know, the awkwardness kind of fizzles out. You forget how weird it was to film it because you're looking at something you can be proud of. And so just for a moment is understanding. Yeah, this looks silly to you now, but this is going to look really cool. I, you know, I trust me. Uh, if anybody wants to know what his music sounds like and a few of the other artists, I think the best mix track you can get is the Valentine Mix 2020. It's like a hit list of uh, him, William Black, and... Um, Bosai. Yeah, that one. Bosai, all, yeah. all three of them. So if you're interested in what, who, what their music sounds like, just YouTube that video. You'll, you'll find it. But you just came out with a new single. Uh, anything you want to promote? Uh, yeah, so I had a new single drop on Friday. That one is with a singer called Quizzy and a duo called Science. The song is called Replay. came out on all platforms on friday it's a little bit different from everything i've done it's a little bit more dancey a little bit more poppy but uh super cool storytelling in the singer and uh yeah i'm really excited about it you actually want people to buy, buy your music though right like go to these sites and actually purchase like for 99 cents or whatever it is these days or stream it just listen to it you know i think i wouldn't be doing this if my goal was just money i think i just enjoy people that's what i'm wondering is, is that a thing now like you can try to go and get people to buy it off of iTunes or whatever, but hey, you know what? I can still make money if this gets streamed 8 million times. So either way, I'm still getting paid. Like, yeah. And it's just, again, it's just exciting to see something that you made on a laptop get played like that. You know, it's, it's, it, it kind of like takes it out of the, the, the world of your desktop and, and shares it to everyone else. And so when you, when you see these numbers, as I said, again, it is sometimes hard to make that distinction that the numbers are, are people because they are people listening to it. But yeah, it's really cool to see that, you know, something that you're kind of enjoying doing. Like, you know, I'm, I'm having fun making music and now I get to share it with people and they get to enjoy it. It's, it's a really cool thing. So do you think it, do you uh, get upset about these YouTube to MP3 converters? Is that like a vein of y'all in existence? No, I mean, 
you're never going to be able to stop people from getting music the way they want to. Do we all do it (laughs) in some form or another? Everybody does it in one form or another, whether you're downloading it, torrenting it, YouTube to MP3 converting it, you know, it's whatever it is. It's just at the end of the day, I just want people to enjoy the music. And so that kind of goes full circle. All right. Any web pages or just go on YouTube? Yeah, you can find me on YouTube by searching Fairly Music. Um, you can find me on Instagram by searching Fairly Music, on Twitter, Fairly Music, across all platforms. Yeah, if anyone hears this and wants to say hey, feel free to say hey, send me a message. Yeah, he, he replied back to me. There yeah, we go. that's how it works, yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate your time and, uh, and coming on the show. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. It was a lot of fun. As promised... Stick around to after the commercial and you'll hear the two minute behind the curtain exclusive of how the 135 million streams from one song almost didn't even happen. Another great interview has ended. While you're on your phone, click that review button. Write up a nice review for me. Five stars if you could. As everyone says in the industry, it'll help other people to find us when we have enough rankings. Not to mention, I'll mention you and your review on an upcoming episode. If you follow me at all on Instagram, you know you only get one link. So I use a link tree. And so it's a doctorsperspective.net slash links with an S. And that's going to give you everything you need to know. The top episodes of 2017 and 2018, the podiatry series, dentist, acupuncture series, holiday 2017, financial series, how to write a review, how to support the show, like buying a cup of coffee getting swag like t-shirts, the Today's Choices Tomorrow's Health book, that's the blueprints for better health, exercise, picking food correctly and financial. And then of course, bundle packs, which can get you the no needle acupuncture book, for 40 common conditions, including the electric acupuncture pin at a great deal. The resources page has some of the products that I like. It's a affiliate style. So if you buy something from them, I get a piece of that. Just like on the show notes pages, if you buy a book from clicking that link, I get a small piece of that as well. So I really appreciate that. Things like Screencast-O-Matic, PureVPN, Missing Letter, JLab Speakers, ProLone Edge or Hawk Grips. Uh, Once again, if you do need any coaching on how to improve some of your blood work, drop weight, and the ProLone Diet, Fast Mimicking Diet, five-day plan, let me know as well as if you just need some coaching, whether it's health, whether it's marketing, whether you need some practice growth, etc. Reach out. Facebook, Justin Trosclair, MCC. Of course, at a doctorsperspective.net on the top right, you got all the social media icons that you can imagine. Click your favorite and reach out. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please tell a friend, pass it along. You can go to .net slash listen. It's just that easy. It'll open up right in your app. And don't forget, I appreciate you. Listen, critically think, and integrate. See you on the mini-sodes on Thursdays and Saturdays. Hope you're enjoying those. I'm definitely having fun summarizing these podcasts in less than 10 minutes for you. You get the nuggets without having to waste your time. Have a great week. Correct me if I'm wrong, but 135 million views on one remix from Imagine Dragons and things? Yeah, so that, I mean, was actually almost an accident. Um, I was originally commissioned to do a production for another artist that you know I'll remain unnamed um but it's kind of how I got my start in music was actually producing music for other people um just until I kind of had built up the foundation of what I wanted to do for my own project you know I kind of 
got the skills and the, the familiarity with everything through producing for other people. And so they reached out to me and, you know, it was an artist that, you know, wanted a remix of this um, Imagine Dragon song. And, you know, I spent a weekend working on it and sent it off to them and they actually turned it down. They said, no, we don't like this. We don't think it's any good. And so because it didn't go through, you know, the official label, which is Interscope, um, it was going to be deemed a, a bootleg remix at the time. And so they just kind of, you know, let it wash away into nothing. And then, my friend Kirk, who works at the label, he you know proposed the idea of of putting it out just for fun, and so we actually made up a new alias. We called it Kid Comet, um, just kind of for fun, and we we put it up on YouTube to see what would happen. And lo and behold, I think it did five million streams on YouTube in two days, and we were kind of like, oh my, okay, so people are enjoying this, and you know, within a month, I think it was already almost at twenty or thirty million. And at that point, we realized that it was going to take off, so we switched it back to to Fairlane which is my alias and then it kind of just <laughs> kept going from there and so oh it was one of those things that you know I never you, ne- you never expect something to happen so and five then million in two days you're like nah never what somebody likes it right so that was that was really cool to see um and then you know it makes them happy too at the you know at the channel because you know, they're getting all this traffic now and, you know, they see a spike in subscribers as well. So it's kind of like a mutual growth benefit at that point. We just went hashtag behind the curtain. I hope you will listen and integrate what some of these guests have said. By all means, please share across your social media, write a review. And if you go to the show notes page, you can find all the references for today's guest. You've been listening to Dr. Justin Trosclair, giving you a doctor's perspective.